millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am, but Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is a test of the emergency podcast system. It is a true emergency. Quick, run. We're in. We're in. Welcome to Mystery Team Inc. The The podcast. podcast. (laughs) Go ahead. I didn't have anything. (laughs) That's how how you're supposed to do it. In the spirit of the tradition, you're not allowed to have anything to say. Okay, I'll do it. Okay, ready? Mm -hmm. Welcome to Mystery Team Inc. The podcast where usually we do it. Well done. Thank you. You did it. Uh, it's more evident to me now than ever that it's important to say that listener discretion is advised. Uh, this podcast is not suitable for children or probably anyone. So, <laughs> yeah, viewer discretion advised, as you said. Yeah, all those viewers. <laughs> Look at all those chickens. <laughs> Oh boy. Shall we ceremonially crack the beers? Yeah. I have to say mine's a white claw again. Great. This is my new thing. I love it. I love that you're drinking the LaCroix of canned alcoholic beverages. Do you have any business? For the probably the first time ever, and it's only because we record every week now, I don't have any business. <laughs> I know. It's almost like if you keep up with something, it gets more organized. Yeah. <laughs> It's almost like if you keep up with something, you don't, like, have to, uh, like... Play catch-up. Quickly cover all your bases about all the time that's gone by. (laughs) Correct. I think shirts are still 20% off, but that's mostly by accident. So if they are, (laughs) by the time this airs... I posted for last episode on the Instagram, I posted that they are still 20% off, so... For sure. I haven't looked at any of our stats in a while I think I'm just becoming like I just uh in a positive way I just care less like I just like I just check less is there anything worth noting uh I'm really excited for our 50th episode coming up me too if we we're on track if we stay on track it'll be like in like two months from now a little less okay so I have a cute little it's a short and sweet one Oh, good. Um, okay, so I'm going to tell you about the gray man of Polly's Island. This is so weird. I was looking at a book. Actually, I meant to bring this up before, but I didn't. Um, I was looking, I found like an Unsolved Mysteries book in the pro- like course of my research. And I downloaded it because I was trying to find information about the episode that, or the mystery that I'm doing in this episode. And when I scrolled through the table of contents, it was like, all the mysteries that we've done. 
And at first I, I was like, book. at first I was like, did Kayla use this as a reference? But then it had like Eileen Moore, it had Diet Love, it had Mothman. And then I was like, oh, a lot of these are my mysteries. Like, and what I wasn't using it as called? a reference. Well, I can't tell you because now I took a bunch of remaining mysteries from it. God damn <laughs> it, Maggie. That's not fair. I, I will say that it, when I was scrolling through the chapter, through the um, table of contents, that one was on there. Oh, really? Yeah, but I didn't read anything about it. I just saw the name. Oh, my God. I want this book. Uh, mm-hmm. I can give it to you after next week. Why? Because the other mystery, the mystery that I'm doing next week is from this book. Okay, are there some that are left over that I can take? <laughs> Probably, yeah. Great. I'm so excited. Okay, so. The Gray Man of Polly's Island. First of all, this was on the Halloween episode of season three of Unsolved Mysteries. So, it's legit. Amazing. Also, Incredible. I just imagine already, like, when you said that, just to, like, comfort myself from being scared, I just imagined him as Muzzy. <laughs> The, oh like, monster God. that teaches you French. I haven't thought from about Muzzy in so the long. late 90s commercials. Muzzy walks so the Duolingo owl could hate. <laughs> Muzzy did walk so the Duolingo owl could harass. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Okay, so it is a ghost story, but it's, it's like a, it's not, you won't be scared. Okay, I better not be scared. You're not going to be scared. Okay, great. Okay, so. Over the last 170 years, five deadly hurricanes have hit Polly's Island in South Carolina. Locals say that every single one of these hurricanes was accompanied by sightings of the ghost of the gray man, and that every person who encountered the ghost was not harmed by the hurricane, and their property and their houses were unharmed. Cool. So there's a bunch of um, origin stories uh, the two main ones seem to be racist. <laughs> <laughs> that was so not ex- how I expected that sentence to end. <laughs> it wasn't how I expected it to end, but I, I realized that like that's what you need to know before we go into this, is that I thought it was just going to be a friendly ghost story, but then it also was racist a little bit. Casper, the friendly racist. It really is. Okay, so the first origin story begins in late summer of 1822. And there was this wealthy young, what they call a planter, (laughs) and his slave boy. Okay. (laughs) And they were riding horses across a deserted beach on on Polly Island because the um, slave owner (laughs) was engaged and he was getting married in a couple days, but he was so impatient to see his fiancee that he took his slave and was like, hey, we're going to ride our horses on a beach to get to my fiance two days before the wedding. So as they were riding their horses on the beach, he fell off his horse into a marsh and the fall killed him. And the slave like tried to save him, but he was already dead. So news reached his fiance and she, in a very dramatic move, took to wandering the beach where he died in sadness. And one afternoon she saw a shadowy figure standing in the sand and she like looked at it dramatically, I assume. (laughs) And like maybe extended one hand, palm down, fingers like a ballerina. 
mm-hmm. yeah. white dress blowing in the sea breeze. Right. And then that night, she heard her fiance whisper, leave the island. The wind is coming. And then she and her parents left the next day. A huge hurricane hit the island, and their home and their plantation, unfortunately, were spared by the storm. Wait. Her home and her plantation were unfortunately spared? Yeah, because it's a plantation. Oh, because she, she has a plantation. Got it. Yeah. Something really weird just happened, which is you were like, she said, and then there was this sound on the phone that was like, sounded like wind blowing, and I couldn't hear anything you said, and then you said, and then the hurricane struck. <gasps> That's so creepy. <laughs> it was really creepy. Sorry. So what did she say? Um, it was her fiance, and he said, leave the island. The wind is coming. Wait, whoa. That's so yeah. <laughs> creepy. Holy shit. Because literally it sounded like wind blowing. Oh. Well, your house will be spared for the from the Southern California hurricane. <laughs> that is inevitable at this point. We had a, uh, another earthquake last night. Did we? Yeah. At like four, I was awake. <laughs> oh, yeah, I slept right through it. It was small, but it was like, come on, guys. Okay. Like now? Now? In this, the pandemic? The murder the murder hornet pandemic, we got to have earthquakes too. And that's the second one. Yeah, I know. I'm just waiting for another big one. Stop. That's enough. Okay. Don't say. Do you want to hear a more racist story? <laughs> I guess. Okay, great. So this one's a Confederate soldier. (laughs) Okay, great. So in the second story, origin story of the gray man, a Confederate soldier went off to fight. And while he was away, he wrote letters home to his beloved, who was the daughter of the owner of a rice plantation. Sure. I think you said a rice plantation, and I was like, yep. It's the same. and then in a letter, he asked her to marry him. She said yes, and that she would wait for him to return from war. When the Confederacy surrendered, he wrote to her saying that he would be home soon, hopefully by the beginning of May. Now, we don't know this because we live in a desert, but the beginning of May is also the beginning of hurricane season. And usually what happens is that Rice plantations, I think rice plantations specifically, evacuated between April and October because the hurricanes created standing water in the crops, which bred mosquitoes, <laughs> and also because Got of the hurricanes. So they were going to evacuate at some point. But so he said, I'm coming home. I should be home beginning of May. I'm going to take a shortcut home instead of coming up the river and then cutting across. I'm just going to go, I'm going to island hop across a creek. My darling Naomi, (laughs) I shall return home at the the beginning of May. I'm taking a shortcut through quicksand bog, and I will see you on the other side in nigh two months' time. It's a huge bummer about the slaves, too, huh? P.S. Huge bummer about them slaves of yours. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Love always Robert Redford. What is this the guy? <laughs> <laughs> Sincerely yours, David Duchovny. No, uh, don't, don't bring know, him just... into this. 
What was his name? We don't know because he's not nobody. No, nobody says their name. (laughs) So. Love it. Okay, so he's like, I'm going to go to the adjacent, the the island adjacent to Pawnee, not Pawnee. Woo, start over. (laughs) He said, I'm going to go to the island adjacent to Polly's Island, and I'm going to go across the creek. Yeah, sounds safe. Yeah, right? Genius. I've played Oregon Trail. (laughs) (laughs) You can't fool me. So in this story, too, he was traveling with, well, he was traveling with a former slave, I guess because of the Civil War. I don't know how former, but so they're riding their horses and they reach. It's because they need a reliable narrator. If the only person in the story dies, then the story doesn't go anywhere anywhere else. (laughs) That's true. So they get to the beach between De Bordeaux Island and Polly's Island. There's a creek, and um, the Confederate soldier went first, and David Duchovny. No, and stop. <laughs> he would never. <laughs> fine, Robert Redford. Okay, that's fine. Uh, he unknowingly stuffed his horse basically into quicksand. Wait, I predicted it. I know. I that's why I laughed so hard. <laughs> oh my god, amazing. Um. And so the horse started sinking, and he it got to a point where his feet were in the stirrups and in the sand. So Ugh. he was like, "Form a slave, go grab a branch or something." And I'm gonna read to you. I found an article on a website called DeepSouthMag.com. <laughs> this is how they describe the scene. The only thing he knew to do was take the bridle and the reins off his horse and try to extend them to his master, who was still on his horse, but going down in that soft sand of the saltwater creek. When the bridle and the reins proved too short, all that black man could do was stand and watch his former master drown right there at the south end of Polly's Island. To be fair... Uh-huh. <laughs> that's what I would do in that position, regardless of how short the Oh, no, that's what I would do. Were. But I love that okay, they, the phrasing was, all that black man that could black do. That black man could do. <laughs> that's great. It's probably all that black man wanted to do. That's what I'm saying. This was a recent article, They're like, too. this former slave, who, for the uninitiated, was black. <laughs> the uninitiated. Like, thanks for the, the hot tip. Oh, so fucking ridiculous. So the legend goes, as this was happening, his fiance was standing on the beach by her house and they were like slowly packing up to get ready to leave for hurricane season. And she saw her fiance walking toward her in the sand and she ran towards him, but he didn't say anything and he didn't put his arms out toward her. And then she just ran right through him. And then Horrifying. as she turned back to look at him, he just silently pointed toward the main toward the mainland. And so she went back to her family and was like, I saw my fiance. He's incorporeal. And, <laughs> he, <laughs> and he pointed at the mainland and they decided that this meant that he was warning them that the storm was going to be really bad. So they evacuated much more quickly than they were going to. The storm hit like two days later, and then when they returned to their plantation, they found that nearly every house on the island had been leveled, but theirs was one of the few left standing. That's amazing. So they could have stayed there, and his advice was bad. (laughs) 
No, I think the way it works is... <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, the way it works is if you listen to him, you, you oh, will be you're spared. Fine. Yeah. Got it. So then, in October of 1893, a hurricane was coming. And there was a tenant farmer, who I assume is like paid slave labor, That's also basically, a slave, yeah. Um, uh-huh. Was hurting the animals that belonged to the family he worked for off the island when he encountered a man dressed all in gray. According to Unsolved Mysteries, he said, follow me off the island, a storm is coming. And he just stood there looking like raggedy and spooky. And he was like, all right, man, do what you want. And like left with his animals. And the following day, the hurricane hit, but it went right past the plantation that he worked at. I have a new theory. Yeah. If you run into the gray man's ghost, does the hurricane miss your plantation because it's a Confederate ghost and (laughs) (laughs) it wants to, like, keep your enslaved people labor uh, based business afloat? I think what it is is that... (laughs) So far, I've only told you the hurricanes that occurred when plantations were the only things that existed on the island. (laughs) Okay. Got it. Um, So I've got... Okay. So in 1954, um, I don't have any names on this one, but a man who had a summer home on Polly's Island saw the gray man right before Hurricane Hazel. And his neighbors reported that his home was so protected from the storm that the beach towels that he had left hanging on the porch were still there. Whoa, cool. And the hurricane, in the hurricane, 95 people died and over 1,800 homes were completely destroyed. Wow. And his beach towels were still there. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, and then we get to the best one. Okay, September 22nd, 1989. Hurricane Hugo slammed into the southeastern coast of the United States with winds over 135 miles per hour. In South Carolina alone, there was close to $5 billion worth of damage, and over 9,000 homes were destroyed, and Polly's Island was hit particularly hard. Two days before the hurricane hit, Jim and Clara Moore were taking their usual late afternoon walk on the beach, Um, they said that they always see a lot of people walking on the beach at that time of day, but that day there was only one person on the beach and he was walking directly toward them. When they got within speaking distance, Jim says, I decided, well, you always speak to people whether you know them or not. So I raised my hand to say hi or beautiful evening or beautiful night or whatever. And the man disappeared in the second he went to talk to him. Cool. Um, So after the hurricane hit, they described it as, they said it looked like a giant dump pile and everything was just piled out in the middle of the road. Um, The island was practically destroyed. It destroyed 14 houses in their neighborhood. And then they went to their house and everything was how they left it. Wow. Clara said, The papers we had left on the counter were still there, even though the front door had blown open. There was no evidence of any water inside, and the house was intact. The salt and pepper shakers were still on the counter, and little things that I had left around were still there. And they show photos of it on on Unsolved Mysteries, and it's like up to their property line is rubble, and then their house is just like untouched, pristine. 
That's so cool. And Jim said that even the little pictures and things that were on the refrigerator was were still there. Like everything was just there. Cool. Um, those are the only like accounts that I could find. Um, in 2018, there was a hurricane, and people on Twitter were like, <laughs> "Well, the local newspaper is reporting a sight of the gray man, so the storm's gonna be worse than we thought." <laughs> Oh no! So it's like a really prevailing. Oh my god! It's like the if like the gray man sees his shadow, then it's like three more weeks of hurricane season. <laughs> oh, so cute. Um, and then I have found a piece of art that is called "Documenting the Gray Man." This is an attempt at a Blair Witch style film. Love it about the gray man where. He's like a malevolent force, so I'm already off board. And then I no, watched the trailer, it. and it's just like, <laughs> I was like, you guys, <laughs> they did it already. It's fine. <laughs> you don't have yeah. to try. Um, so I highly recommend watching Documenting the Gray Man, except for I disagree with everything they stand for. <laughs> <laughs> so don't watch it. So don't watch it. Yeah. Um, that's my cute little story of the gray man of Polly's Island. That was such a cute ghost mystery. He's such a cute little ghost man, except for he's racist. Oh, I forgot. I know. It's really easy to forget. Ah, the privilege to forget racism. I know. (laughs) We forgot it in like 10 minutes. Wow. That's all the time it takes. So all it takes is some hurricane damage, and you forget all about racism. Good mystery. Thanks. I know it was short, but I needed a break. I enjoyed it. I needed something Yeah, sometimes they should be short. Okay, let's take a break. Okay, let's take a little break. We'll be right back. Hooray. Do you want ready-to-wear clothes without the hassle of a dryer? You can. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. You can. You can. (laughs) You can want. Um, Should I do a mystery? Yeah, why not? not? While we're here, right? While we're here. Okay, so. While I'm under my stairs. (laughs) Right? Now's the time. Okay. Today, I'm doing... The Mystery of Adelaide Bartlett and the Mysterious Death of Edwin Bartlett. Adelaide Bartlett was born in France on December 19th, 1855. Her mother was an Englishwoman named Clara Chamberlain. She was married to Adolphe Colette de la Tremouille. However, Adelaide's biological father remains a mystery. It was said that he was an Englishman of good social position, but that was never verified. It seems that uh, Adolf was not her biological father, and that's, like, the extent to which we know of that. Um, But it seems that he must have been well-known and, like, respectable enough that they all felt it was necessary to keep his identity a secret. He was rumored to be a wealthy and possibly even titled member of Queen Victoria's entourage, who had visited France in 1855. Mm -hmm. I have a question. 
Do we know when her mother married? What's it, what is this? Yeah, name? no, I don't know. But they had okay. they were already married. And but and they no one was like pretending that she was his daughter, no. right? We know that she wasn't okay, his biological right. daughter, and but we also know that he and Clara raised her until Adolf died in 1860, and Clara died in 1866. So she would have been like 10 and 11. Okay. So Adelaide, who was now an orphan, was sent to England and was taken in by her maternal aunt, Anne, and her hu- husband, William Wellbeloved. William Wellbeloved, there's like a whole, apparently that's not an uncommon name. <laughs> I learned. Mine would be Kayla, mostly tolerated. <laughs> tolerated. <laughs> um, she grew. Okay, she grew up to be an intelligent, pretty, graceful, well-educated woman. She met thirty-year-old Edwin Bartlett in 1875 when she was 19, and he mm. became infatuated with her and resolved to marry her. With her permission, or he just, like, made that decision? He was like, I will marry her. Great. And <laughs> Love some agents. Me too. You're going to love this next part. It, it's unclear whether it was her new dad or her shadow dad that did this, because differing shadow accounts <laughs> differing accounts give different accounts. But one of her dads um, arranged a marriage between her and Edwin and paid Edwin a dowry. And the marriage was to proceed under three conditions. One, Edward had to take sole responsibility for Adelaide. Two, he was never allowed to bring up her mysterious heritage. And three, he had to continue her education. Like, Wait, continue so did funding Edwin, it. did Edwin learn who the shadow dad was? Or was this, like, a, an anonymous We don't know. Deal. We don't know. Because some sources say that her, uh, like, new dad arranged the marriage... But there's also, like, rumors that Shadow Dad, like, gave them the money for the dowry. Who's her new dad? William Wellbeloved, her uncle that she was, like, oh, living sorry. with. Oh, sorry. Right, right, right. I got so distracted by the name, I forgot what his role was. <laughs> Yeah. So he took her. He was her uncle by marriage. And he and his wife took her in. So Edwin... So, yeah. So the, he, they arranged a marriage. They paid Edwin a dowry. The rules were... She's your problem now. You're not allowed to talk about Shadow Dad, and you have to keep funding her education. Edwin was fine. He worked hard. He was ambitious. He was reasonably attractive. He was fine in all facets except the fact that he was willing to marry this woman seemingly without consulting her. (laughs) Um, Negligible. It's fine. (laughs) But according to Wikipedia, Adelaide said that it was actually intended to be a platonic marriage. Like, essentially, it was just like a marriage of convenience Edwin, like, was into her, but, you know, they just, like, wanted to, like, get her off of their hands, and he, whatever. So, they got married on April 6th of 1875, and in accordance with the condition that he was to continue her education, in 1875, he packed her up and sent her to boarding school. She stayed there for a year. It's such a strange thing to send your wife to boarding school. That's why I, I know, I had, that's why I had to include this part. She stayed there for a year. I'm sorry. My wife's at boarding school. <laughs> hey, Adelaide. What for dinner? Oh, I forgot she's at boarding school. Oh, she's at, she's in year five. <laughs> well, he sent her there. For, she was there for a year. And then after which she, he sent her to a Protestant convent in Belgium for finishing school. She was raised Catholic, but she converted to 
Protestantism. What's the actual noun for Protestants? I think it's Protestantism. She converted to being Protestant <laughs> because yeah, Edwin maybe, was yeah. Protestant. Um, so he sent her to a, a finishing school, a Protestant finishing school. And then in 1878, she returned to England and they finally began their married life together. Everything seemed fine. Adelaide basically was like working hard to be a perfect wife. And Edwin, he owned a grocery chain and the grocery chain, grocer, grocery chain was, go, was like doing great. And apparently, though, Adelaide had no friends because even though she was popular and charming to men, women apparently found her off-putting. God, that's some deeply internalized misogyny I know. Right there. So... The problem was that Edwin's father didn't approve of Adelaide because he felt that she drove a wedge between them. And shortly after moving into their house, after his own wife passed, he moved in with them. And then he accused her of having an affair with Edwin's younger brother, Frederick. Here's the thing. She may have been having an affair with his younger brother, Frederick. (laughs) It's hard to tell. Um, Do we know anything about Frederick? Like, was he cute and like... a (laughs) A rogue. We don't know that much about like, Frederick. A little bit of a, of a maverick. It's possible. We don't know that much about <laughs> him, um, except it's possible that she was having an affair with him. It's hard to tell because obviously, if she was, she wouldn't have acknowledged it. Uh, so even though that may or may not have been true, Edwin took Adelaide's side and forced his father to retract his statements in front of a solicitor. Like, he basically was like, we're going to call in a lawyer, and you're going to admit that you don't know that that's true, and you're going to retract your statement. And he did. Meanwhile, Frederick... that's some fucking solidarity. I know. Meanwhile, Frederick fled to America, which is like a super innocent thing to do. (laughs) According to two sources that I read, the two secretly remained in communication after he moved to America. Oh, my God. You guys. But also, how much of this... This is my problem, because I was reading, doing all this research, and, like, what's difficult is that even though a lot of it is true, there's so much, like, inherent misogyny at play that it's, like, hard to tell when authors are, like... Or when, like, yeah, when contemporary accounts are biased just by the virtue of, like, her being who she is. You know what I mean? Yeah. But we're, yeah. You're, we're it's all going to become more clear. According to Adelaide, she and Edwin only had sexual intercourse once in their married life. And it was when they attempted to get pregnant. And in 1881, Adelaide got pregnant. Was, was she his beard? Possible. Wait, uh, say that again. I only heard the S sound. Oh, I said Possible. very very possible so (laughs) Adelaide got pregnant and a nurse named Annie Walker moved into their home a few weeks before the birth to perform midwifing duties she anticipated a difficult delivery and she said it could endanger the baby's life so she recommended that they bring in a doctor for the birth who was male but Edwin objected to the prospect because he didn't want quote a man interfering with his wife End quote. Really? Because you only interfered with her once in your marriage. Right. And he didn't consent to bringing the doctor in until the last fucking second during her very difficult labor. And by then it was too late because Adelaide gave birth to a stillborn. Ugh. Edwin's fault, in my personal opinion. Oh, absolutely Edwin's fault. 
she was so traumatized by the experience that she vowed to never become pregnant again. She was like, we're not having kids. And Edwin acquiesced. He was like, that's fair. The nurse, by the way, stayed friends with them. And she later testified that on one occasion around this time, Adelaide complained because Edwin's will, which left the entire estate to her, stipulated that she wasn't allowed to remarry, which we know was a common stipulation at the time. Do you remember um, the mystery of Edgar Allan Poe's death that the woman that he was in love with, her husband had died, but she was going to lose, like it was in his will that she wouldn't get to keep the estate if she remarried? Yeah, I do remember that. So that was like a common stipulation in wills at the time. But God, that's so, so ridiculous. I know. Important to note that Adelaide apparently at one point complained to the nurse about it. In 1885, the Bartlett's moved to Merton Abbey, England, where they met a local Wesleyan pastor named George Dyson. The three of them became best friends. And Edwin enlisted George to tutor Adelaide in the classics. That's the sexiest thing you could enlist him to do. (laughs) (laughs) Tutor me in the classics? I know. He was like, I'm going to tutor you in marriage. Yeah, exactly. And he's a priest? Listen, a pastor? listen, I fucking know. This is the sexiest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> it's the second sexiest hot priest thing I've ever heard. First sexiest, obviously, Fleabag, but yeah. we can't all be Andrew Scott. You should write a romance novel about this. I, the romance novel I would write about it is Fleabag season two. Okay, great. So, done. So it's already been done. <laughs> it's, we have it. It's fine. So he enlisted... George to come tutor Adelaide and the two would often spend the whole day together at their home while Edwin was working. I love that he was like, no, you can't bring a doctor in because he'll see my wife's vagina. And then he just got a hot priest to tutor her. So this is what's really interesting because you're going to see as this unfolds that he was not completely oblivious to the situation. And it's interesting because one person theorized that he brought, like, let George into their house like this to get her mind off Frederick. One person postulates because, so that. He, so he, they, their theory is that he wanted her to, like, want to fuck a different person? Well, let's see. He was like, not my brother, but this pastor is fine? Yeah. Well, you're about okay, to, you're about I mean, to, we're about to see that that's not actually that ridiculous. Okay, I'm So, ready. in August of 1885... The couple moved into furnished rooms on the first floor of 85 Claverton Street, Pimlico, into the house of Frederick Doggett, who was a registrar of births and deaths, and his wife. When they moved in, Adelaide asked them to make arrangements for them because they wouldn't be sleeping in the same bed. They lived in the drawing room, and Edwin would sleep on a folding bed and Adelaide would sleep on the couch. Edwin encouraged Reverend Dyson to see as much as as much as possible of Adelaide. He even bought him a season ticket from Putney to Waterloo to make it easier for him to visit her for their tutoring sessions. Alice Fulcher, the dog it's made, several times came upon Dyson and Adelaide in, quote, positions unusual for a tutor and pupil, including Mm, one time when... Not if you're doing it right. (laughs) Including (laughs) one time when, uh, during their study, she noticed from the outside of the house that the curtains had been pinned together. God, it's so hot. <laughs> At this time, by the way, Adelaide would later say that Edwin had been had started reading free love literature 
and had even made inquiries to her about polygamy. <gasps> oh, interesting. So then this comes from this amazing book that I was reading. Uh, and I just had to like screenshot the book because of the way it, I just couldn't do better than this. So I'm going to read it to you. Curious as it seemed, the evident coziness between the minister and the grocer's wife toward the end of 1885 apparently had the grocer's blessing. In September, the Bartlett's had taken a holiday in Dover, and young Georges Rex, as Dyson was known in their household, visited them twice at their expense. He admitted that in the meantime, he wrote to Adelaide, and she to him, as often as two or three times daily. Unfortunately, none of this correspondence survives, save, per, save for a poem which George composed and dedicated to Adelaide. The verses hardly suggest an undiscovered poetical genius, but they do indicate the quality of Dyson's attachment. Here's the poem. Oh my god, yes! Who is it that hath burst the door, unclosed the heart that shut before, and set her queen-like on its throne, and make its homage all her own? My birdie. He called her Birdie. Mm -hmm. So, by the way, later when everything went to shit, Dyson was like aware about how bad this looked. And so he was like trying to explain to everyone that Edwin like was in on it. And so he produced a letter that Edwin had sent to him from Dover during that time. And I'm going to read that letter to you. Oh my God, yes. <laughs> Monday, 22nd September, 1885, 14 St. James Street, Dover. Dear George, permit me to say I feel great pleasure in thus addressing you for the first time. To me, it is a privilege to think that I am allowed to feel toward you as a brother, and I hope our friendship may ripen as time goes on without anything to mar its future brightness. Would that I could find words to express my thankfulness to you for the very loving letter you sent to Adelaide today. It would have done anybody good to see her overflowing with joy as she read it while walking along the street and afterwards as she read it to me. I felt my heart going out to you. I long to tell you how proud I feel at the thought I should soon be able to clasp the hand of the man who from his heart could pen such noble thoughts. Who can help loving you? I felt that I must say two words. Thank you. And my desire to do so is my excuse for troubling you with this. Looking toward the future with joyfulness, I am yours affectionately, Edwin. Okay, this is cute. <laughs> So Edwin even went on to make Dyson the executor of his new will, in which he removed wow. the stipulation that Adelaide was not allowed to remarry. And apparently Edwin told Dyson that if he died before Adelaide, he wanted Dyson to marry her. I'm just so concerned about the fact that this has to go south somehow. Correct. Damn it. They would even joke sometimes... For example, one time when Edwin confided in Dyson about something small that Adelaide had done that bothered him, George Dyson said, well, when she's mine, I'll have to teach her not to do that, basically. And apparently Edwin <laughs> just, like, laughed. And they were like, whatever. So... I'm getting nervous. In the fall of, 1880, in the fall of 1885, Edwin suddenly fell ill. He was suffering from several illnesses, including but not limited to rotting teeth and possibly tapeworms. Oh, my God. An inexpert dentist, which is like the worst combination of English words <laughs> you could possibly <laughs> create. <laughs> Devastating. An inexpert dentist had sawed off Edwin's decaying teeth to the gum line. Oh, yeah. And then fitted him for dentures. And so, obviously, the roots of his teeth rotted. So, he had just like 
all of his teeth rotting out. In December of 1885, Edwin was treated by Dr. Alfred Leach. And I think that Dr. Leach is like the funniest thing you could be named if you were, if you're a doctor. Well, yeah, if your last name is Leach, you have one career choice. Right. Um, Dr. Alfred Leach thought that he may be suffering from mercury poisoning and suggested to him that were he maybe, was he maybe taking uh, a medication for a venereal disease like mercury for syphilis, which we were just talking about in the last episode? Was he maybe like a pirate (laughs) and injecting himself with a giant needle? This is the thing. Mercury was still the treatment for syphilis at the time. This is the 1880s. Was cocaine and vibrators still the treatment for hysteria? I believe so. Great. Don't worry, we're going to go down that road in a minute. Not the vibrators, but the cocaine as medicine. Like, we're going to get to that. But uh, he basically was like, hey, it seems like you're suffering from mercury poisoning. You're not taking mercury, are you? And Edwin vehemently denied that he had any kind of venereal disease. He was like, I haven't fucked my wife in 20 years. Right. (laughs) But, I mean, but that's part of the problem because (laughs) that would mean, like, maybe he was getting it somewhere else and maybe he got syphilis. But... So he did say that... Maybe he had a hot nun tutoring him in Homer. This is my... (laughs) (laughs) This is my problem, by the way, is that, you know, I guess because of the circumstances, there's, like, all of this sort of, like, querying about her and her exploits. But the truth is, like, if she was being abstinent, like, why doesn't anyone wonder if he was sleeping around? He was gone all day. Was she sleeping with the hot priest? So she and the hot priest both deny it. But that doesn't mean that they weren't. Okay. Also, there's no, no one ever, like, caught them in the act. Um, but, like, who's to say? It's possible that they were. It's also possible that they were having just, like, a very intense, emotional, like, emotionally unfaithful relationship. You know, yeah, like it could have just been like long stares. It may not and, have like, gone that far, right? Exactly. Heavy breath. But what I'm saying is, why doesn't anyone ask if Edwin was sleeping around? Because his wife was abstinent. Because of misogyny. Thank you. And also because he set her up with a hot priest. I'm gonna give them that. Right. Sure. But that seems like something I would do if I were already cheating on my wife. <laughs> I like, assumed have he a was sleeping priest? with someone else. I don't know. Me too. But no one ever and mentions it in any of the accounts. So anyway, he vehemently denied having a venereal disease and evidently he didn't have a venereal disease um but he did admit that he was taking medication and he sheepishly admitted that he didn't know what was in it so he was like i don't know maybe did he say for what uh probably for all the maladies he had because he was having uh his teeth were rotting out of his head and yeah so he was also having so he was having all these symptoms most of it was like stomach ailment so dr least diagnosed him with diarrhea and gastritis then a more competent dentist treated his mouth. The bar was really low, though. So what's more competent? I know. Removed most of his, de- removed several of his decayed teeth. But although his physical health improved, he was depressed. He was acting deluded. He was acting hysterical. He even confessed to Dr. Leach that he believed that he would die soon. Adelaide requested a second opinion on his condition because he was like physically getting better, but he was mentally not getting better. So she called in another doctor saying, if Mr. Bartlett does not get better soon, his friends and relations will accuse me of poisoning him. Yikes. Another doctor was called in who diagnosed that Edwin's gums were inflamed. But other than that, he said he was fine and prescribed him daily walks outside. (laughs) (laughs) 
That's like when you're like, I'm depressed and people are like, Have some saltines. <laughs> Think positively. Yeah. Look on the bright side. Have you been exercising? Have some saltines. <laughs> <laughs> Second quacking. Okay. Adelaide later testified that at this time, Edwin had, quote, odd ideas. For example, she said that he was a big believer in animal magnetism as a key to health. Which Tell I, me a little I didn't bit about know. what that means. I didn't know what that was. But basically, essentially, it relies on the belief that, uh, like, all beings, like humans, animals, and vegetables, all, like, living things, this is the way they describe it, have, like, a life force that can be transferred between them. And essentially, the way that you practice it is by, like, hypnotizing your subject. No, you, <laughs> you hypnotize your carrot and tell it it's a chicken. No, you hypnotize your subject and then you like somehow transfer the life force between things to heal each other. This was like an 1800s like phenomenon. It was like a, it was I'm like- really stuck on the fact that vegetable is included. I know, but can I tell you that the animal magnetism thing is like crystals in the 90s. Like this was like a fad, it was like a, <laughs> it was like a health and wellness fad. And she claimed like it would that he have been was, on goop. Yeah, exactly. And she claimed that he was super into it. Interesting to note. Oh, and also a, another another thing was she said he had odd ideas like the animal magnetism thing. He was like, that's how I'm basically he was like a Christian scientist. She was like, he, you know, um, and also that he'd been reading all this free love literature. And she said that he basically betrothed her to George Dyson in this time. He was having a crisis. Right. Um, he should have just become a pirate. Uh, seriously, just go be a pet dad to a pirate. Exactly. Uh, it's important also that I note that even though she said that, her dad said, not her dad, sorry, his dad said that Edward was always sharp, he was bright, and he didn't read a lot of books. So he was like, I don't buy it. I don't buy that he's reading all this free love literature. We don't know. Stay in our lane. At this time, <laughs> Edwin had apparently suddenly begun demanding sex from her, even though sex had been, like, off the table for a long time. And she was very off-put by it. She also cited that he'd basically betrothed her to Dyson and said that in doing that, he'd abandoned his marital rights to her. And she was like, I'm not going to have sex with you because I'm basically engaged to someone else. And also, apparently, he had really bad breath because his teeth were all rotted and she was just, like, kind of grossed out by him. Totally fair. On December 27th of 1885, Adelaide confided in Dyson that her husband had been suffering from these gastric maladies, which she referred to as a, quote, internal complaint, <laughs> which is my, my favorite combination of words, um, that she said were, quote, causing paroxysms and of which the doctor was ignorant, but she knew from previous experience would be eased by chloroform. Paroxysms, huh? so paroxysms are a sudden attack or violent expression of emotion. So she was saying, like, he was having these, like, sudden, like, fits of, like, violent emotion that she was relating to his stomach ailments. And she said that, uh, she, she asked Dyson to go buy her some chloroform which had previously been prescribed to him by Dr. Alfred Leach. Alfred Leach 
did testify that he did in fact prescribe chloroform to Edwin, although he prescribed it reluctantly. Why? Why? I'm going to explain why? it. Okay, thank you. When Dyson asked why she didn't just ask the doctor to get her the chloroform, she said that he didn't know that she's well-versed in medicine and wouldn't entrust it to her. Liquid chloroform was applied to the skin as a liniment to ease rheumatic pains, and one or two drops on a lump of sugar would be taken to help seasickness and nausea. So he had prescribed him chloroform to be taken in small doses to ease nausea, I think. But as we know, liquid chloroform burns the skin and any substantial amount taken orally is lethal. Yeah, um, I just, um, I am floored. But also because it breaks up fat, it was usually used as a stain remover at the time. A stain remover? Mm-hmm. Okay, guys. At the time, when you bought medicine that was also poison, which it seems like all medicines at the time were maybe also poison, you had to sign a book at the chemist's pharmacy as a record of buying medical poison. <laughs> medical poison. I mean, it's... Continue, but I'm... everything that is... they took at the time could kill you. It was like chloroform, mercury, like all medicine was poison. Yeah, they just took it in like such small doses Correct. that it sometimes didn't correct so you had to like sign out the poison when you bought it but only if you bought it in large quantities if you bought it in small quantities you didn't have to sign it out dyson bought four small bottles of chloroform instead of one large bottle and bought them from several shops claiming he needed it to remove grease stains that's a shady thing to do my friend that's like moving to america after being (laughs) accused of sleeping with your brother's wife i agree (laughs) During this time, Edwin had almost fully recovered from everything except for his inflamed gums. And I don't know if maybe he was still having emotional outbursts, but he seemed to be doing like mostly better physically. On December 31st, 1885, Edward had another dental treatment where 18 of his diseased teeth were removed. But he was He still had 18 in mm-hmm. there? I don't know how many had how many he had before. <laughs> How many teeth? Yeah. How many diseased teeth? No, teeth. Like, how many teeth do you even have? <laughs> how many were taken out the first time? I know. He was in good spirits when he came home, and he remarked to the landlady that he was excited to eat the large haddock that she'd ordered for New Year's breakfast. And oh, gross. He oh, said, guys, so British. And he basically oh. said, now that the days are getting longer, I should like to be awoken an hour earlier. And I'm going to get up early to eat that fish. Which is funny oh. because the days were not, like, getting that much longer. Like, it was New Year. Like, they, like the solstice is, like, the, <laughs> like, December 24th or whatever. But anyway. Uh, Adelaide also casually mentioned to Mrs. Doggett that she regularly gave chloroform sleeping drops to Edwin. Did he know? Yes. Oh, Okay. Before 4 a.m. the next day, Adelaide sent the maid for Dr. Leach and then woke the Doggetts, saying to Mr. Doggett, come down, I think Mr. Bartlett is dead. She said that she'd woken up to find Edwin lying face down and had tried unsuccessfully to pour nearly half a pint of brandy down his throat to revive him. There you go. That's how you do it. Mm -hmm. Mr. Doggett found Edwin's body was cold and estimated that his time of death had been several hours earlier. Now for the clues. A three-quarter full wine glass stood on the mantelpiece within reach of Edwin's bed. Doggett thought that the fluid was brandy containing a drug that smelled like ether. Because remember, all medications were, all medicines were poison. 
Yeah. He also later testified that he thought a tumbler half filled with Condi's fluid stood on a tray near the table. With what? Condi's fluid. Condi's fluid is a solution of 1% compound of manganic and permanganic acids and 4% sodium chloride. It was used to remove odors and was poured on feces as a disinfectant and deodorant. How do you disinfect poop? This was my question. I have so many questions. <laughs> You'd have to just get rid of it, right? Like you. Can't. Yeah. Later that morning, however, when the maid brought down the tray that Miss, uh, when the maid brought down the tray, Mr. Doggett noticed an unlabeled ounce bottle inverted in the tumbler, and passed it on to the coroner's officer. Also on the mantelpiece was a bottle of chlorodyne which is a tincture of chlorine and morphine. Again, just poison. Oh my God. Which Adelaide told Dr. Leach when he arrived had been used by Edwin to rub on his inflamed gums. There was no sign of a bottle of liquid chloroform. Just so you know. They found that... Okay. Okay, so then they pretty much were like, we don't know how he died, but we're going to order an autopsy. And Adelaide was like, please order an autopsy. I would love to know what the fuck happened. And her father-in-law immediately accused her of doing something suspicious. So they performed the autopsy, and they found that Edwin's stomach contained liquid chloroform, which they ruled as the cause of death. They also found trace amounts of lead, which were never explained, but I'll come back to that because there is a historian with a theory. God, you'd never trust a historian with a theory, but it's good. So when Dr. Leach told Adelaide the cause of death, she admitted for the first time to have p- having possessed chloroform. In the later stages of his illness, she said, Edwin had attempted to have sexual relations with her, which she had declined, reminding him of her near betrothal to Dyson. When Edwin became insistent, she acquired the chloroform, intending to use drops of it on a handkerchief held before his face if he made further attempts. Damn. In the event, she had not used the chloroform at all, but had confessed to Edwin about it on New Year's Eve. She showed him the bottle while she was in bed, and then he put it on the nearby mantelpiece. Adelaide then fell asleep and awoke to find Edwin dead. That's her story. So she was like, I bought the chloroform because he kept trying to have sex with me, and I didn't want to have sex with him, and he was insistent. And so I bought the chloroform to, like, basically knock him out if he tried to have sex with me without my consent and I never actually but but I never actually did that instead I like felt guilty and I confessed to him that I had bought it and I showed it to him the night that he died interesting okay at the coroner's inquest so then Adelaide okay sorry so I didn't write this down but then Adelaide told Dyson or some no no no, sorry Dr. Leach told Dyson and Dyson was like what the fuck because he's the one that bought it and he didn't know, obviously, that it was going to be become evidence in a potential murder. So at the coroner's inquest, Dyson explained to the authorities that he'd purchased the chloroform at Adelaide's request. And that immediately shifted the blame onto her. And she was arrested and charged with murder. Dyson was later arrested and charged with being an accessory before the fact. It was rumored at the time that Adelaide's mysterious father, her shadow dad had instructed and paid the great barrister Edward Clark to defend her. Whether or not he was hired by Shadow Dad, he was her defense lawyer, and he was basically like the Robert Kardashian of (laughs) the 1800s. He published in his 1918 memoir that she was the unacknowledged daughter of an Englishman of good social position, which makes me think that he may have actually had contact with Shadow Dad. 
who probably paid him to defend his daughter. When Adelaide went to trial, the prosecution withdrew its case against Dyson because it allowed them to use him as a witness against oh, her. Oh, God. The prosecution posed three possible scenarios. Suicide, which they deemed highly improbable. Accident, which they said was practically impossible because the pain of drinking chloroform would immediately make someone aware that they had just drank chloroform. Or deliberate administration by another person. They presented the theory that Adelaide had made her husband semi-conscious by getting him to inhale drops of chloroform on a handkerchief and then poured liquid chloroform down his throat. Did he have, like, burns in his throat? I'm so glad you asked because that is coming up and it's probably the most important piece of evidence in this trial. Oh, my God. I feel like a lawyer. You are one. Oh, my God. Dyson was called... You're the, you're the lawyer of this podcast. And the neurobiologist. And the Starfleet commander. Yes, my three dreams. She jobs. contains multitudes. <laughs> Inside you are three wolves. Okay. <laughs> so Dyson was called as a prosecution witness, but he actually ultimately aided the defense. Surprise, surprise. He confessed that Bartlett believed he was terminally ill, which was an admission that suggested suicide. Yeah, and he said to that guy, I don't remember who he said it to. To the doctor. He thought Mm -hmm. that he was going to die soon. He confessed. He was like, Bartlett thought that he was terminally ill. And also he had like betrothed Dyson to Adelaide. So it kind of implied that like maybe after she confessed about like what she did, he was so distressed that he just wanted to like take himself out of the equation. That was like basically what they were positing. Mm-hmm. Dyson also admitted that Adelaide hadn't asked him to conceal the purchase of the chloroform in any way. Interesting. He did that. And he didn't even know what it was for. Dr. Leach also testified on her behalf to the, quote, tender care which Adelaide had lavished on her husband throughout his illness. And there's a bunch of quotes about this, but it would just make this way too long. But he was basically like, you couldn't want for a better nurse than Adelaide was to Edwin. Like, she was at his side every night and every day. She asked all the questions. She administered his medication. She, like, did everything he, you know, everything for him. Um, and then they called Dr. Thomas Stevenson to the stand who, to basically be, like, an expert witness. And he stated that he knew of no recorded case of murder by administering chloroform. But he said that if you pour chloroform down an unconscious person's throat, two things. One, likely you're going to end up with chloroform in the windpipe. And in Edwin's case, there was no evidence of chloroform in his windpipe. Mm-hmm. But second of all, the main forensic arg- argument that was made was that liquid chloroform, the, the liquid chloroform reached the stomach without burning the sides of the throat or the larynx. Edwin didn't have burns in his throat. So that bolstered the suicide theory because you would have had to drink it so quickly <laughs> and like diluted and it. To, like, yeah, exactly. They said that such rapid drinking suggested that the drinker rushed the poison down. Yeah. The defense called no witnesses, and Adelaide wasn't permitted to testify or give sworn evidence on her own behalf because those were just the laws up until 1898 when the Civil Evidence Act was passed. However, the defense's closing statement lasted six hours. Guys! (laughs) I know. The prosecution had this to say. In his summing up, Mr. Justice Wills drew attention to contraceptives which had been found in Edwin's clothing, suggesting that he and Adelaide had enjoyed the usual sexual sexual relations of marriage. 
Adelaide's, Adelaide's reason for needing the chloroform to repel unwanted advances with the advances would then be discredited. Which to me is just like a big rape culture thing because just because someone has prophylactics on them does not mean they're not going to rape their wife. <laughs> you know what and I it mean? It also doesn't mean that that's who he's using them with. Of course not. It just means, yeah, it just means that you either want to protect yourself or you don't want to have children. And if you have a wife who doesn't want to have children, then you're probably going to use prophylactics whether, you know, she wants to have sex with you or not. Or, alternatively, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're using them with her. Yeah, he was reading free love pamphlets and he hooked her up with a hot priest. Circumstantial. Okay, when the jury returned to the court after considering its verdict, the foreman said, although we think grave suspicion is attached to the prisoner... We do not think there is sufficient evidence to show how or by whom the chloroform was administered. And they confirmed the verdict not guilty. I'm hesitant to be glad about that. I know. But I will say that the verdict was greeted with rapturous applause because even though at the beginning public opinion was not on her side, over the course of the trial, it apparently completely shifted and everyone thought she was innocent. I think essentially because they had painted Edwin as like this like guy who like this madman who had like gone basically gone mad because of his illnesses and who was like making unwanted advances to her and had betrothed her to someone else and that you know they you know i i just think the way that they they the way that the defense painted him made him a very unlikable victim yeah the issue of how the poison got into Edwin's stomach without burning him internally in the throat led the famous surgeon, Sir James Paget to make this quip. Now that she has been acquitted for murder and cannot be tried again, she should tell us in the interest of science how she did it. <laughs> <laughs> because basically all of the like doctors at the time were stumped. They were like, I can't figure out how she did it. <laughs> I love that. So her defense lawyer, Edward Clark, believed that Edwin had killed himself. He also suggested that having heard the dentist use the word necrosis, he may have thought that he was suffering from gangrene, and that may be why he thought he was terminally ill. He postulated that Edwin poured the chloroform into the wine glass while his wife was out of the room and then drank it. And then when Adelaide Adelaide realized she was dead, she poured brandy into that same glass, and he said that's why... Doggett thought that the glass contained ether and brandy or had. Why would she pour brandy in there? Because she was uh, like giving it to him to revive him. Oh, right, right, right. Because she was, yeah, going to revive him with a Mm -hmm. strong alcohol. But someone else was like, if he was going to drink the chloroform, why would he pour it into a wine glass and not out of the bottle? To dilute it, right? I don't know. Dr. Leach wrote later that he thought that Edwin took the chloroform maliciously to distress his wife with the symptoms after she admitted her intentions of using it on him. Presumably, his intention would not have been to kill himself, but to make himself ill. He was already so ill, though. But he, but he was recovering. He was, like, almost all better except for his gums. So Dr. Leach was like, I think that maybe after she confessed that she bought the chloroform to keep him away from her, he drank some of it to make her feel bad, to, like, make himself ill. Like, maybe he'd basically developed, like, Munchausen. Yeah. Um, it's also possible that he consumed it by accident, because after showing it to him, Adelaide left it on the mantle. He may have mistaken it for his medicine, and, like, waking up in the middle of the night to, like, take medicine, he drank the chloroform by mistake. But it seems that he wouldn't have been able to do that without noticing that he was drinking chloroform. 
Yeah, and it wouldn't have gone down that fast. No. To me, it seems very possible that regardless of the scenario, because, okay, so then this is my question. What's the density of chloroform and what's the density of brandy? Because it seems to me that if they're not the same density, you could easily have both in a glass. And if you drank the brandy the way that one drinks a brandy when they need a brandy, you could maybe ingest the chloroform at the same time without burning your throat. So I looked it up and it turns out that chloroform is less dense than brandy. Interesting. So my like armchair science theory is that she or he, that whoever did it, put the chloroform in the brandy and that he drank it, like chugged the brandy, drank it like a shot, like shot it. And as a result, because it was floating on top, the brandy was what like touched the inside of his mouth and body. And it would have gone down fast enough to not burn him. Exactly. And he wouldn't have noticed. Exactly. That's my armchair science theory. Um, I love a murder theory that involves liquid density. Thank you. Uh, do, do, do. Uh, okay. Another much overlooked theory developed later by historians is that Adelaide had been poisoning Edwin slowly with lead acetate which would have come from their canine medical kit, which she used to doctor their dogs. And it would explain why there were traces of lead found in his stomach. So, Oh my God, I forgot about the lead. So one theory is that she was slowly poisoning him with lead, but when he called Dr. Leach, she stopped slipping him the lead because she didn't want to get caught, which explains why Dr. Leach would have thought he had mercury poisoning and... It would explain why he miraculously immediately recovered from his stomach problems because she probably stopped yeah. giving it to him. And then, I like this one. And then she used the chloroform as like an improvised second attempt. That's the theory. I like that theory. That's my favorite one. I do too. We're almost done. The last note is that after the trial, Adelaide was acquitted. She did not marry Dyson, but returned to Orleans after the trial of where she was born. And it's believed that the two never saw each other again. What? Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. I'm so... In- what? <sighs> well... Why? Because... Why? Because during the course of the trial, it seems that Dyson was very angry with her. <laughs> because, A, because she put him in the position where she made him a, an accomplice to murder. And, B, I mean, I would assume he probably thought that she did it. Okay. Maybe didn't think that she did it, but... I did read in some accounts that they had he he was really angry with her because he was afraid that he was going to be defrocked because he was uh, implicated. Oh, okay, that's fair. So I don't know if he believed that she did it or not, but it seems that she asked him to buy what ended up being a murder weapon and he was charged with being an accessory. And even though the charges were dropped so that he could basically he like, you know, made a deal, um, he was apparently more afraid of being defrocked than he was of being charged with the criminal charges. So he was furious with her and basically was like, how could you do this to me? Like, how could you include me in this? And I think that if he did believe that she did it, he probably would have been upset that she killed his best friend. (laughs) Right, because... And or lover, who knows? Because they were brothers. Right. Or... Or lovers from another mother. Yeah. 
Lovers from another. <laughs> Hopefully that's all all lovers. <laughs> Ideally. Oh man. So yeah, that is the mysterious death of Edwin Bartlett. So okay, my here's my question. Mother. In the theory where she like long term poisoned him. Mm-hmm. What is the what would be her reason for trying to kill him? Like was he that much of a burden on her? I guess that's the question is like what's the motive? The motive that everyone seems to give for just like generally why she would want to murder him is because a she wanted to be with George Dyson. But she was. <laughs> right, but she wanted to like actually be with like marry him. And also this well, here's a good point. To our point earlier, if they were not doing anything illegal, then she wasn't. Right. So she wanted to be with George. And, you know, it's interesting. We can speculate all we want. But in my mind, it kind of makes me think that, like, maybe George refused her because of the marriage. And maybe she thought that if Edwin wasn't around, that Mm, he would. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, so that I mean that's just speculation but the motive that everyone else gives is she wanted to be with Dyson she now was the he was the executor of the will and she was entitled to his full estate and he was making sexually unwanted sexual advances toward her I only accept the unwanted sexual advances because like it doesn't seem like she wanted for anything like I don't understand why she would need to inherit the estate like I don't know how that would benefit her in such a way that would warrant murder. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think that the people who believe that she did it would say that she wanted to, like, go start a life with Dyson. So the easiest way to get rid of her husband and also all the money she could want to go start her new life would just be to kill him. Yeah. But I also think that like unwanted sexual advances is more than enough of a reason to like motivate someone to take a drastic action like that. Oh yeah. Like I said, that's the one that I support for sure. The end. Uh, We don't know. It's a roller coaster. I know. It's also a roller coaster because like we still don't know how he drank the brandy without burning himself or sorry, the chloroform. I know. It's so weird that, like, such an important, very specific detail is the unknown. I know. And I did read somewhere. I pulled so many sources for this because they're all contradictory. One was, like, a really long blog spot article that was clearly very biased. And I was like, where are you getting this information? Um, (laughs) What's funny is that I pulled all this good stuff from it. And then I was like, I can't trust this fucking source. Like, there's no way this poem is real. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but it turned out that I found the poem in the actual, like, textbook about it. And I was like, oh, my God, that was real. Like, the Blogspot article was like, he took to calling her Birdie, but blah, blah, blah. And I was like, you don't know that. And then it turned out the Blogspot article God, was I really, right. I wish that it had just been the hot priest story and that's it. I know. But <laughs> all this to say that I did read somewhere, and now I can't remember where, and I was trying to find it earlier today, Someone suggested that maybe the chloroform could have been suspended in the brandy somehow. And I was like, yes, that makes sense to me. But I don't know. Yeah, that makes sense to me, too. 
I don't know. I don't buy pouring brandy down his throat to wake him up. I don't either. Although, I mean, maybe... I mean, I buy that someone would do that, but I don't think that's what happened. Mm-mm. But I also do think that it's, it is possible that he drank it. I yeah, just think he I, didn't know that he was drinking it. Yeah. And I think that's where the he prosecution so went wrong. He was looking forward to that gross fish. Exactly. That's what, that's what they say. They're like, the, there's no indication that he was planning on killing himself. And also, I think that's where the prosecution went wrong. Because they argued that she poured the chloroform down his throat and they couldn't prove it. Yeah, there's But if no they had argued that. that she had slipped it into his drink somehow, I think that they could have probably won the case. Also, some people said that because his mouth was all fucked up and inflamed, he could have drank it without realizing. I don't know. I don't know either, but he had 18 teeth pulled that day. So it's I know, possible. So would he be more sensitive? But if you're already drinking brandy, how are you going to know the difference? Like, if you drink brandy with chloroform in it and you can't, like, taste anything, is it going to taste that different than regular brandy before it it, Especially if you're drinking it the way one drinks alcohol. I don't know. I don't know. These are things to think about. (laughs) So that's my mystery. Thank you for that mystery. I really enjoyed it. Good. I'm glad you liked it. This episode feels so short now in comparison just because we normally record for like three hours now. <laughs> I know. It, like, I think nice it's a good though. thing. Yeah. It's like relaxed fit, but not relaxed fit. Yeah. It's like relaxed fit for the listener because they don't have to listen to the episode in two parts. <laughs> They're like, my commute's only 20 minutes to my job. I listen to your podcast in like five pieces it took me three days yeah exactly do you have any wrapping up business Mm -mm. i think you should say the follow us on all the bullshits part oh my god oh no okay um fuck (laughs) so far so good (laughs) okay uh so please follow us on instagram at mystery team inc and don't follow us on twitter and email us <laughs> any potential crushes or, or any scientific information about the density of chloroform. Any any density of any liquid, I'm going to say. <laughs> at mysteryteamincorporated at gmail.com. All non-density related emails will be disregarded. <laughs> I gave you like this little bit of power and you've gone so rogue. <laughs> Uh, it's just because I'm going to go meet Joseph Henry Loveless later. And what what should everyone do uh, to I- increase the visibility of our podcast? Um, go out in the street and bang pots and pans in support of healthcare workers. I mean... She's right. Just do that. Please fuck, fuck rate and review. <laughs> please rate and review. Wait, also don't go out into the street because then you're putting no, yourself no, no. at risk. Just no, do no, it no. from your, like, balcony. But also don't do that. I saw a tweet recently that was like, can you imagine being a healthcare worker and, like, having a midnight shift and you, like, have <laughs> to wake up at, like, 3 a.m. and at, like, 8 p.m. you're in bed already and everyone is just, like, banging pots and That's pans funny. outside your window. Uh, so rate and review is that's all to say thanks rate and review did i do it was that great you did do it what those are two different questions no i'm kidding are you glad that you let me yeah i think yeah i think you're gonna have to do it from now on
Oh, God. It's going to be that wild every time. Great. I'm looking forward to it. Awesome. Do you want to start our uh, sign-offs, too? Oh, my God. What is this? I don't know. It's just that we've been doing it for 42 episodes, so I feel like maybe it's time to mix it up. Okay. Um, Do you, does that mean that I've... It? Sorry. Pause. Does that mean that I've done that fucking spiel 42 times? Yep. Probably closer to 50 because of all of the times we've recorded something and then gotten it deleted by accident. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Go ahead. Okay. We don't know what's real. Sorry, I <laughs> fucked it up already. <laughs> do you want to do our regular I'm, old sign-offs for old time's sake? I don't know. I'm so brain dead. I slept times? for three hours. <laughs> Let's do our regular sign-off from the before times. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Do you want me to start it? Yeah. We don't know. Stay in your lane. Fuck with a buck up. Smooches. Ooh, you made it sexy. <laughs> I know you always make it sexy. It's fun that way. Yeah, that's how it's supposed to be done, I think. It's for all my crushes. <laughs> uh, all 42 of them. <laughs> uh, 42 crushes. The dream. Uh, cheers to 42 crushes. <laughs> and to 48 more. Are you saying we're only going to have 100 episodes? No, I'm just, that's how far in the future I'm planning. And then we'll see where my crush stands. Good idea. You know? Good idea. Maybe I'll be crush overloaded. Good idea. Or I'll commit to someone. <gasps> DB, you're one true. I know. Maybe I'll just go back. You're one true love. My one true, my one true crush. Mm-hmm. All right. Thanks for listening. All we right. appreciate Thanks. you. <laughs> we love you. Stay safe. Stay safe and smooches. <laughs> uh, so many priest smooches. <laughs> Goodbye. Watch Fleabag. Goodbye. <laughs> Goodbye. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, podcast listener. Do you love talking about movies, music, TV, comics, and games? Then you should be listening to The Great Pop Culture Debate, back in bigger than ever for season nine. This season, the panelists discuss the best James Bond film, the best Elton John single, the best Nickelodeon original series, the best Batman villain, and so much more. Find the show wherever you listen to podcasts or head to greatpopculturedebate.com. More than 100 topics are already available. Subscribe today.